Sunshine Live Radio Music Podcasts. Tearing Down Walls, a Sunshine Live Podcast with your host Sylvia Cunningham. Welcome to Tearing Down Walls. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Today's show is about dance and democracy. Our starting point is a video that went viral in August, which you might have seen. It's short clips of Finland's Prime Minister, Sanna Marin, partying and dancing. First, there was outrage and criticism, and then there was a wave of support from people asking why a prime minister couldn't have fun with her friends after hours. Sanna Marin, by the way, is 36. She is one of the youngest leaders on the world stage, and this video highlighted one big underlying tension in politics. There's a pretty widespread consensus that politicians are too old and we need younger people in office. And yet there are still very conservative notions of what politicians should look like and how they should behave. So today we'll talk about double standards in politics and why dance is vital to our societies. We'll start the show first, as we always do, by talking with a DJ. This month, the spotlight is on DJ Killa. Welcome to the show, Killa. Thanks for being here. Hey, hi. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you. So, Killa, you've been a resident DJ of Lekin since day one, and Lekin is described as an erogenous rave with a strong commitment to the dance floor. Can you tell us more about what Lekin stands for and why those values are important to you? When we started Lekin a few years ago, like six years ago, it was really about bringing this feminist queer energy to the party scene because Berlin had a lot of gay parties but it was very male-centric and uh, female did not always find a space to enjoy themselves there. So we started doing small events in uh, gay clubs that then were open to everyone basically. And we have choreographers, we have political scientists, uh, we have DJs. So we kind of created a collective of arts and culture aficionadas, so to say. I mean, we also have guys. And yeah, we, we try to build a community to enforce some values inside of the scene, to care for each other, to be accountable for what you do, but also to find your way. We try to be a mix of all of that. So dance is also a core element of that. You mentioned political scientists. What are the political scientists doing as part of Lekin? Well, I mean, no, they, that, that's what they studied. I mean, we are all renegade academics, so to say. Like, I think we might be the only party collective where everyone has at least a master's degree. <laughs> and so that was just from the orientation that our texts are often written by those people because like they are really very literary and stuff like that. But all of us are kind of nerdy. So even me as a DJ, we have a very nerdy way of going about the party scene. So wait, what's your kind of like nerdy other side of you? Um, what would you describe it as? Well, I mean, I'm extremely nerdy already as a DJ. I mean, I play vinyl. All of my records are organized in this weird CVS Excel kind of sheet. I sort them on my computer, like, painfully. And uh, I'm very nerdy about the equipment, about the, the setup, about how the things are supposed to be set up so it works out. And then you also find out, okay, many people don't know how to do it in the club. So I also try to explain to technicians when they don't know it, it's cool. Uh, it's a um, knowledge exchange. I give workshops, for example, to young female who want to learn how to DJ. And I try to explain to them the basic of how to wire the stuff, how to make it work, how to be independent and stand your ground. Can you describe the atmosphere you like to create with your sets? 
Well, you know, as a DJ, you're only ever as good as your audience because there is this energy exchange. It's not your music. So you need to create a vibe where people feel, yeah, feel free to dance, feel compelled to dance, but also feel taken care of. So I always try to take the people on a journey, but then also kind of sense the vibe. Sometimes, depending on what's happening in the city, people are more or less melancholic. Sometimes you can feel they really want to dance it off. This weekend I was playing closing, so it was two hours of dancing, dancing, and then one hour of letting the guests down easy, so that when people go home, they feel at peace, and they are not just thrown into the street after really hardcore sounds. And I think that's really important that you create this mix of energies where people can feel that we create kind of a heterotopia with the music. So today's episode of Tearing Down Walls centers around dance and democracy. And we had this idea by revisiting this video of the Finnish prime minister partying and dancing and and all the responses it got. Did you see this video? And if so, what did you think about it? I was surprised that it was even a thing because she wasn't completely letting loose. It was just a very normal video of a young woman enjoying herself in her free time. So at first, I didn't understand why it was being posted on every news site. I didn't see the the scoop. And of course, we're talking about it because there is this question of why are there these double standards and why can't a world leader just dance? Don't we want young people in politics um, also being themselves <laughs> and doing what they would do in their free time? I mean, did it make you think of the double standards of why is this even a news story? Um, it made me think about the double standards of younger people in the politics, but also women are always being judged harder because In that case, it was about dancing, but it could be about uh, having to take time off to take care of your children, for example. It could be the clothes you're wearing. It could be, for example, if you have been taking enough or not enough time off after a pregnancy. So there is this double standard where women are always going to be judged super harsh for everything they do and they can never do it right. And this is this impossible standard if she was not partying, people would say she's grim and boring and, and, and such a fuddy-duddy. So this is the thing. I think she never had a chance to start with. From the moment where you step out in your free time, people are going to criticize what you do. How important do you think that dance and dance culture are for our democracies and our societies? I have to say we realized during the lockdown, for example, like I'm sorry if that's a bit off topic, but... Maria uh, Efscaroni, our choreographer, created this um, uh, techno drift, which was basically uh, one of us would make a mix and then we would go out in the city with headphones and dance when everything was forbidden. And she wrote a whole text about how it was a pharmacon against the grim atmosphere around and so on. But we really realized people would see us dance in the street when everything was closed and it, it created some kind of exchange with them. It gave a lot of release. Dancing also normalizes all kinds of body types, which is also very important because you can see grace and and beauty and power in all kinds of body types. And uh, I think it's very important politically for children to learn how to express themselves dancing to to release the pressure. For politicians, I don't know. I know Teresa May dances sometimes. I've seen a few videos. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but I've not seen many politicians dance, so I don't know. uh, if it's especially in Germany, I've never seen Merkel dance. Well, maybe because there's such backlash if they do, right? 
maybe but it's also interesting that it's not oh i've seen obama dance for example he's very gracious and this is also the thing for example obama has been praised for i don't know i think it was some kind of salon dance he was dancing at, at some party he's a man i'm not sure his wife would have been praised the same way for for taking somebody for a little bit of tango so yeah that's what was so weird with this video is that what what do you really expect from a young woman who is in such a position what should she do in her free time i think it's important especially after everything that happened during the pandemic and that's happening now that we are not afraid to express joy and dancing is an expression of that and i think being able to feel and express joy should not disappear from society completely Killa is a resident DJ of Lekin, has been since day one here in Berlin. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Tearing Down Walls is a co-production of Sunshine Life and college radio station WNHU. 88.7 FM out of West Haven. The initial backlash to videos of Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin dancing after hours opened up a conversation about sexism and double standards in politics. Women and female politicians around the world started posting videos and photos of themselves partying or dancing, or they sent in messages of support. My next guest was one of them. Joining me now is Gouda Jensen. She's a politician from the pro-business neoliberal Free Democratic Party, or FDP, and she's been a member of the German parliament, the Bundestag, since 2017. Welcome. Thank you for being on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So Sana Marin, prompted by comments from Finnish opposition leaders, took a drug test after those dancing videos came out. That drug test was negative. And you tweeted out in response, now the woman can go back to doing her superb job and living her life. Can you talk more about your reaction to seeing that video when it first came out and the critique that followed? So I didn't watch the video. I just saw the reaction of people who were excuse my my French uh, bullshitting Sanamarin for the fact that she was also having a life and also going to a party. And the next thing I asked myself was, how is it possible that people around her shared this video? Because I think if you are in a context where you have constant meetings and everything is under pressure, I think it is just natural that you also have to just take a step back once in a while. And um, I think actually she does a superb job. And um, that's why I actually was very upset with her taking this drug test because I thought, how is this possible? How can she not just say, leave me alone, let me do my job and let me just live my life on the other hand. Um, and the fact that this test was negative, I think, was the most positive thing for her because she just went out being the winner in this whole thing. I mean, Well, yeah, it's an interesting point, too, because it does kind of put into question, wait, is this going to be a standard that politicians have to do drug tests or what drugs are they testing for? You know, in some countries, certain drugs are legal and they could be consuming drugs or drinking alcohol or whatever the case may be. Do you think it sets a weird precedent? Yes. And I think that um, if a video of her appears where she's just obviously having fun, can't just lead to the conclusion that she has to be on drugs for being in a good mood. So um, I envied her <laughs> that she went to this party, to be honest. I, I still think that 
the way that she dealt with everything was more than a hundred percent. I would have not given the, the last twenty percent, to be honest. So you were elected to the Bundestag in 2017. You were 28 years old at the time, so that was the youngest member of parliament at that time. Did this recent incident, did that kind of bring back any memories or did it echo any sexism or ageism you've experienced in your career so far? So far, to be honest, I did not experience any sexism myself, but that doesn't mean that I cannot sympathize with women, especially women in my age that just experience these kind of things. But I just thought that we might be a few steps further than this whole reaction around the video says about our society. Do you feel like you've been underestimated or that mostly hasn't been your experience? Sometimes I have been underestimated, but most of the time that wasn't a problem for me or a challenge for me. I think it was rather a positive side effect that came with If you do a good job, then uh, you surprise people. I don't take these kind of critics uh, very seriously, to be honest. And that's why I think being young, that goes away, literally, with time passing. So um, I think most of the time people are trying to be friendly if they tell you, oh, you look so young, you don't look like a politician, which leads to the conclusion that we need to work on the image that politicians are old and male and white and you name it. Um, I think we're working on that currently. And uh, so far, I don't feel to be set in a, in a certain negative light. And I think that's all that counts. Just to orient our audience, the German parliament, the Bundestag, is younger than ever, but still the average age is 47.3, and only 34.7% of members of parliament are women. And in terms of Germany's governing coalition of center-left social democrats and the Greens and the FDP, your party certainly has the lowest percentage of women in the Bundestag. Why do you think that is? Well, that is a question that um, my party asks itself uh, for, for many years, and um, I'm not happy about it. And I know many people in my party who are not happy about it. On that front, we're working on it, but that's something that needs a little patience because our membership is very male. So when people are running for office, they tend to be potentially male. And um, I think it is just on many different areas where we can work on being more female, I think one aspect definitely is for young women who ask themselves, well, can I be both? Can I have my mandate? Can I be a politician? And also, can I be sure that having a family still is possible? Or do I have to decide now? These questions, I hear them very, very frequently. And that leads back to Sana Marin. I think it needs to be possible to go to a party and live your life and at the same time run a country. It's interesting because, of course, on a national or on a world stage, Angela Merkel, having been chancellor for so long, she was obviously this female role model where, you know, you even hear that classic story that little kids were like, can a man even be a chancellor? So in that regard, there was that example. But in terms of age, she was 51 when she became chancellor, and that was the youngest chancellor to hold office. Do you think Germans are open to having a younger leader? And if they're not, what do you think is behind that? And how can you convince them that a young person could hold such a position? 
I think it is still one aspect that people tend to think if you're up for the job, you need to be experienced. Experience equals uh, age um, or, or well-aged. And I think this is not, that would be too easy because we see with other countries' leaders that you don't have to be experienced or older uh, to be up for the job or be able to do the job, especially in a time where things can happen so fast and change so fast. And I think that younger people are very adaptable to these changes because we've been living the change. I think my generation has been living this change um, and it, everything is very fast paced. I would hope that Germany is up for having younger leaders. Not to put you on the spot, but since this is a transatlantic show, I'm wondering, from your perception of the United States, would you think that it's facing the same problems in terms of a lack of women and not enough young people in politics? I mean, would you guess that the situation in the U.S. is better or worse compared to Germany? That's a good question. I would say that with regard to the political figures that we notice or that the majority of people in Europe notice in US politics, the problem is worse because we have a potential Republican candidate with uh, Donald Trump, who still says, well, he's, he's, he's running again for office. We have President Biden, who is in his late 70s. And I think both of the big parties, um, Republicans and Democrats, do not have these role models in the very high-ranking spheres where people in the world notice. I also know of Pete Buttigieg and, and, and other candidates, but still American politics, especially with regard to the, the whole abortion debate, for example, uh, seems to be very ancient at the moment. I just want to say your perception is correct. In the U.S., less than 30 percent of House seats are held by women, and it's just about a quarter of Senate seats. And the average age is also much older than it is in Germany. It was 58 for the House and about 64 for the Senate at the start of this current Congress. So that perception you have is correct. Last question, coming back to Sana Marine and the video that went viral in August. Do you think you'll make a point of going dancing more often? Definitely. I envied her when I saw that video and I asked my husband why we're not dancing more often. So um, um, that's definitely one of the takeaways for, for me. Gude Jensen is from the Free Democrats and a member of the German parliament. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Tearing Down Walls, our transatlantic show on Sunshine Life. We'll shift now to a transatlantic conversation with two dancers. Joining me from Berlin is Diana Thielen. They're a dance artist and movement activist. Welcome, Diana. Thank you for having me. And joining us from Buffalo, New York, is Stacy Van Blarkom. She's one half of the B-Flow Girls, a DJ and breakdancing collective dedicated to uplifting women in hip-hop. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So a thread through today's show has been the reactions to this video of Finnish Prime Minister Sana Marin that went viral in August, this video of her partying and dancing. And I first wanted to ask both of you, did you see it? And what was your reaction? Uh, Diana, let's start with you. I tried to avoid watching the video. And I was just watching it today for preparation. And actually, I must say, I really enjoyed observing a woman taking up so much space. <laughs> and also obviously presenting herself 
so sexy and um, yeah, not holding herself back. So I had fun watching it. Stacy, what was your reaction? To me, it looks like fun. That's not hurting anybody. You know, she was in, you know, it looked like a private residence with her friends. And I think we're all human and need some time to just dance and <laughs> have fun if we're not hurting anybody. I don't see an issue. I want to take a step back and learn a bit more about you both. Diana, when did you first get into dancing? What kind of got you hooked? I do remember myself taking some ballet classes when I was about six years old, but I stopped pretty fast um, since I had a very strict teacher. And then it was just some years later when I discovered films like Flashdance. And I remember that I was really fascinated and impressed by um, Jennifer Beals, who was the main actor, the main character. And, and she was also, so she was not holding back and she was very um, strong-willed. And of course, she was also very athletic and pretty. So that was very impressive. And I think I just encountered contemporary dance, which is now my main topic when I was around 18 years old. So much later. You've mentioned this idea of taking up space. Do you feel like that's something that comes naturally to you in your dance? Or do you feel like that's something you have to kind of actively work towards um, and do? Thank you so much for asking that question, because no, it, it's not coming natural for me at all. It's it's still hard work for me to take up that space. And I'm a pretty huge woman. And I remember with my long limbs, it was always very difficult to really take that space also in a shared studio where the others usually have been much shorter than I am. Stacey, let's hear a little bit about your background. You grew up with a foundation in ballet, tap, contemporary, jazz. It seems like it ran the gamut. What drew you into breakdancing? Like you said, I, I grew up dancing um, since the time I was like three years old and more traditional studio styles like ballet, tap, jazz, contemporary, point, you know, all of that. And then when I was an adult, when I was in my early 20s, you know, I was just really missing dance in my life. I thought that I would need to live in like a bigger city if I wanted to sort of access classes without, you know, recitals and costumes and all that stuff. But it turns out that that actually wasn't true, that there was actually a lot of opportunity to dance as an adult in Buffalo. And I happened to see a picture of a friend of mine doing a freeze, which is just like any time in breaking that you stop your motion, you know, hit a pose, whatever. And asked her if she could teach me or where I could learn. And she pointed me to a B-girl class that was happening um, at a dance studio called Verve Dance Studio. And I went there. I tried it and just like fell in love. Like, I think I was just like ah, cheesing for her, like, you know, three days straight after the first time I did a six step, which is um, a very foundational footwork and breaking, like something that you would learn that one of the first things that you would learn on the floor. Have you thought about why this form of dance resonated with you and kind of made you excited to the point where you'd be smiling for the next week after nailing a move? Why do you think it spoke to you in that way? Um, well, to clarify, I did not nail it. It was just the first <laughs> time I tried it. <laughs> um, breaking is more, there's technique, but it's more functional. 
right? So the goal in maybe ballet um, or other styles or one of the goals would be for us to have this like really perfect form, right? In breaking, there is form and there is technique, but it's really just to make it work from like the perspective of physics and gravity. Like you need certain forms <laughs> to make your body do these things. But once you learn your foundation in breaking and, and really all the styles under hip hop culture, it's, it's you taking it and making it your own. And I guess I just really was drawn to like that freedom. And I, I was fortunate because where I learned was very much encompassed in, in within the culture. You know, so it wasn't just learning a dance, it's learning history, it's learning, you know, cultural values. It really, really shifted the way I look at the world, truthfully. Diana, you are part of the queer feminist artist collective Altus Finanzamt, and there you co-organized a series called The Urge To dot dot dot. What is behind this series and can you tell us a bit about what happens in this performance? Yes, I think the best way to explain what happens is also to understand what the collective is about, also where we are located in. We are located in Berlin, Neukölln, and this neighborhood is under high pressure due to the rising rents and gentrification. And I do think that this pressure from outside also mirrors our situation as freelance artists in Berlin. We do all have the pressure of maintaining income, for example, or also maintaining visibility and finding space to be seen and sharing work. And the urge too is exactly doing that. We do create our own space. We have a space that is not only used for rehearsals, but also enables audience to visit us. And we share work that is not yet fully digested or work that might be quite raw and therefore also feels quite vulnerable. So an uh, evening of performances or a typical The Urge to Evening, we share unfinished work. It might be a chapter of a new novel or it might be a new idea. It might be purely improvised. And we ask the audience then also being part of our process. Stacy, I want to ask you about your community in Buffalo because it seems like that's pretty central to the work that you do. I mentioned that you're one half of the collective B-Flow Girls along with DJ Lisa Lux. And do you offer programs that educate youth and young adults in your community about women in hip hop? What's usually your starting point? So community is really at the center of everything that I do. I, I believe strongly that like we all need to use our gifts to make an impact on our community. And B-Flow Girls is, is focused on uplifting women in hip hop, which doesn't mean that our program is just for people who identify as women. Our programming is for everyone, but we want to recognize some of the women throughout hip hop history that sort of made it possible to be where we are today and were practitioners of the various elements of hip hop during times when it wasn't as easy. I've been breaking for almost 15 years and um, there's never been like more than I think five, four or five other B-girls at any given time in Buffalo that I know of. And then my DJ partner, Lisa Lux, grew up in New York City, um, started DJing when she was like 12 years old. So we both had, you know, some uncomfortable, <laughs> some very interesting experiences being women in our, in our elements. 
I feel like that's changing a lot now when we work with the youth. Um, they don't have the same experiences with gender that we did as, you know, maybe preteens or teenagers. Um, in what ways? I mean, do you feel like it's less boxed in or are there less stereotypical roles or? It definitely is less boxed in. There's more opportunity to express yourself without kind of judgment in that way. I find that for the kids, it's just not as important to them. Diana, what's your experience with gender and do you feel like it's getting less boxed in? I do think um, in contemporary dance and related techniques as, for example, contact improvisation, there might be the difference that the majority of the dancers who are taking the training are girls or women, but then later in the position of power, so the ones who are then choreographing pieces or taking decisions, those positions are usually then hold by men. So I do think that gender and sexism still plays a, a huge role. And I also, I'm really fascinated by the question how gender is also embodied. I think like it's almost a mainstream discourse at the moment that we understand that gender is not the same as sex, also not due to biology, but that gender is social constructed. But I often find that we do not yet fully understand how this is also embodied. So how the movement and what the space we're taking with our bodies and um, how this is also gendered. I would say that also part of our female education is still to serve the excitement or the pleasure of others or serving the needs of others um, more than our own needs. I do think that also really relates to the Finnish prime minister of allowing herself to take up space and to really also enjoy herself. Yeah. And also it's interesting. I, I feel like often as women, it's how can we make the people around us feel as comfortable as possible? So if your mind is with the audience and how can you make them feel not like, ooh, what's going on here? And, you know, if that's your priority, it completely shifts maybe the integrity of what you're doing as a performer. Right. Yes, right. Man, the idea of like taking up space, right? Right. <laughs> um, so with breaking, like, it, it is something that literally takes up a lot of space if you're in a place where people are just sort of dancing, but like not on the floor, you know, they're just doing whatever they're grooving and you start breaking, like you, you immediately it will clear a circle. <laughs> um, this is sort of the natural thing. And I think that also can be kind of like a means of empowerment for women. Mm -hmm. Well, there, there's, I guess, two things that I that I see with breaking. First, just taking up the space in general, right? And really, like, commanding the space. People need to move or else they're going to get kicked, <laughs> you know? Um, coming in and, and kind of, like, commanding the space and attention can be really empowering. And the other thing about it is, is that it's not sexualized like a lot of other dances. Now, there might be people that you interact with that still kind of try to do that uh, to you, right? Or maybe think that you're dancing like a man, like it's too whatever. But 
the reality is, is that you have complete control over how you want to present that. And that when I say like, it's not sexualized, I just compare it to growing up and having these dance costumes that you're like, and, and mine weren't even that bad, but you know what I mean? It's like an eight-year-old, like wearing almost nothing and having super heavy makeup. And I think part of what, what draws me to breaking and why I think it is good for youth to experience in general is because it doesn't have that element on top of it. You know what I mean? We're wearing functional clothes or wearing track jackets that are slippery and like are good for spinning on the floor. You know, in general, you're wearing like more baggy clothing unless you choose you want to wear something tighter or whatever. But like having a bunch of bare skin and trying to spin around on the floor is not going to (laughs) work. So um, it's just like I find it doesn't put that element of sexualization on top of young girls, which I think is really awesome and beneficial so that hopefully they can be more recognized for their skills versus like how you look. A theme that's definitely emerged for today's conversation has been this idea of taking up space. And I want to close by asking about space in a very literal way. And that's just, where's your favorite space to dance? I mean, there's studio spaces, there's competitions, rehearsals, clubs, public spaces. Can you tell me your kind of all-time favorite place to dance or favorite space to dance? It's so hard to choose. (laughs) I personally like to dance uh, socially, like when I'm out, just because, again, that's sort of where the dance was created. Um, I just like the exchange. But I mean, the first thing that you do, and Diana, this might be for you too, like when you come into a space is you look at the floor (laughs) and you're like, ooh. (laughs) So any space that has a, a beautiful floor and good energy, is the space that I love to dance. I also really love to dance in my shower. And Diana, for you? I definitely can relate to the floor thing. As soon as I see a beautiful wooden floor or something that invites me to really be with the floor, being supported by the floor, I love to dance with. I started recently, it's not the shower so much. It's more the, the playing, dancing part with my toddler in the living room. This is one of my favorite dance spots at the moment. And I started to dance outside more and more often. Not outside in Berlin. I'm not so comfortable to dance on the streets. But if I'm really thinking of like nature and natural environment, the floor gives different support. But um, there's also different feedback like smell and animals, other beings that are dancing with us. I love that. Beautiful note to end on, yeah. Diana Thielen is a dance artist in Berlin, and Stacey Van Blarkholm is a break dancer in Buffalo, New York. Thank you to both of you for joining me for this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to everybody for tuning into our show today. Tearing Down Walls is a co-production of Sunshine Live and WNHU at the University of New Haven. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. This show was produced and edited by me and Monica Müller-Kroll. Don't forget to subscribe to Tearing Down Walls wherever you get good podcasts. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.